Well, good morning. Boy, that is true. That is true. That is true. And that is what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks of how much he loves us and what do we do with that. You know, I don't know. I'm a little bit weird. I enjoy around Christmas time actually going to the mall. I don't actually mind going to a mall. How many of you think that that's weird? I, I, I know that it probably is. One of the things I like going to the mall for is not necessarily spending money. That's not what I like about it. I like kind of being shoulder to shoulder with different kinds of people. I like being around and seeing, you know, the hustle and the bustle of, of the holiday season and, and, and just sitting there. Now, I don't like going from store to store, like I said, but I like sitting there with a coffee and watching people go from store to store. And, and I, I just think that it's pretty amazing because uh, these are people uh, that, that I believe and, and, and probably many of you here believe that God created, that God made, that God uh, formed and fearfully and wonderfully made and, and, and that he loves them. He loves you. He loves us. And, and that's the truth of, of it. That's the, that's the, I hope that you can, you know, if you uh, question God in any fashion, I hope that you know uh, that he loves you no matter what, unconditional, he loves you. And uh, we, there's all sorts of different types of people, isn't there? I mean, people are weird. Can we be honest right now for a minute? I mean, people are, we're weird, you know? I'm weird. I already know that. You're weird. I, I, I don't mean to offend you, but... But, I mean, I'm in the people business, and I hang out with people all the time, and it's what I do, and, and, it's, and you are too. You, you work with different kinds of people. There's all different kinds of people. I want to just see who you are. I want to know. I mean, you don't need to, like, raise your hand and say, this is me or this is me, but I just think that there's a different type of people, right? I mean, we have, uh, you know, when it comes to personality types, there's extroverts or introverts, and there's, I know there's different variations of that, but, you know, maybe you're an extrovert. You're somebody that's outgoing. You know, you you thrive around crowds, and you like to be around people, and it sort of energizes you when you do that. Or maybe you're an introvert, and you would rather just lock yourself in a dark room, and that's your happy place. Like you, like if you were just alone and to yourself, and nobody bothered you, that's what you're. And some of you are smiling, going, "Yep, that's me." Like you just mentioned my happy place, alone in a dark room. Uh, that's that's me. Maybe you're. Uh, you know, this is, you know, pertinent around this time of year, or at least it was a few weeks ago. Maybe you're a spender or a saver. Which one are you? Are you a spender? And the husbands are pointing at their wives going, she's a spender. That's for sure. That's, that's my wife right there. And, you know, maybe you're a spender or a saver. There's all different types of, you know, people that just are okay with spending some money here or there, and that's all good. And, you know, they're, they're not, you know, being irrational. They're just, you know, getting what they need and what they want at the time. And, they're, and others are savers. They want to make sure that, you know, everything is in order and place and the budget is put together and you follow through that budget. It's all good. Maybe you're a planner or a flexor. A planner or a flexor, you say, what is that? Somebody who loves to plan out, you know, you have your, your calendar, you still order those Franklin calendars. Anybody remember those, those desktop Franklin calendars? Like, you know, you have it on your desk and you, all, you have that, but you also have your, you know, Blackberry, which I don't even think those are exist anymore, but you still have your Blackberry planner and then you have your iPhone too, which has your plan around that, or maybe you're a flexor, or maybe that is like somebody that's more flexible, you know, they're like, 
whatever, you know, is before me, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever I got to go, go to next, that's where I'm going to go. And I'm more flexible in that way. Maybe you're a thinker or a feeler, a thinker or a feeler. You think logically, you, you add, things need to add up for you. You're a thinker or maybe you're a feeler. Maybe you're somebody that's more like emotionally driven or whatever your gut tells you, that's what you're going to do. There's all sorts of different types of people. Here's one, uh, a collector or a tosser, a collector or a tosser. Maybe you're one that just has everything and you've had it since 1989. Like you have, it's, just, it's somewhere and, and you, you're like, I'm not a hoarder, I'm a collector. Like I'm not, I know where it's at. Like you're like, you know, I, I know where, my, where this stuff is. And may, or maybe you're a tosser, I'll, I'll admit I'm a tosser. Like, you know, even my staff around here knows, like, if you leave something laying around, I'm going to throw it away. I don't care what it is. I'm going to toss it. My, my wife, especially my kids, know that if, if it's something that is left out and I don't, and I don't think that it's of, of any value, I'm throwing it away. I'm a tosser, you know. My wife is probably a collector. Maybe you're a juggler or a holder. You're a juggler or a holder. What is that? That is somebody who, you know, can juggle different things. You can multitask. You can, you can do 10 things at a time, and it's no big deal for you to do that many tasks at a time. You can get this done, and you can get that done. You can go to that place, and you got this, li- and you got a, a list of a dozen things, and you can juggle them all with no problem and no stress. Or you're a holder, and you're like, I can only do one, maybe two things at a time. If I do more than one, maybe two things at a time, I get stressed. I get stressed. So these are different things. These are different types of people. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on about how different and how unique we are. But the fact of the matter is, is that God made us that way. And there's not one better than another. There's not one that, you know, God prefers more than another. I I just think that God has just made each and every single one of us unique in in a way that is is specific towards you. And and the way that he shaped you and formed you and created you and the personality type that he's given you and and the things that you enjoy and the things that make you laugh are all unique in that way. And, and, And the way that you handle your stuff and the way that you handle your finances and and the way that you deal with people, we're all unique in that way and God loves us all the same. He loves us all the same. Psalm 145 in verse nine says this, the Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all of his works. There's a, there's a sort of a phrase uh, in theology, it, it, it's, it, this phrase is it, different variations, but uh, it's called common grace. How many of you ever heard of this phrase before, common grace? Well, I, I believe in common grace, and common grace, to define it, is, is this. Common grace is the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of Salvation. So we'll talk about salvation grace in a minute, but this common grace is a grace that God gives to every single person, whether they believe in him or they don't, whether they trusted in Jesus or they haven't. 
You know, wherever they are, wherever they come from, that God has given us, God has given us grace, this unnumerable blessings that God has bestowed upon every single one of us. Now, I believe that these are mundane, everyday, part of life, common graces that God has given us. I think that they are. I think, for example, like uh, when we moved into our house a few years ago, um, there was six of us that moved into this house. It had one bathroom. And I'm thinking, man, six of us with one bathroom. I know we're spoiled. These are first world problems. Um, this is going to be tough. This is going to be tough. And so I asked a friend to help me, or actually I asked a friend if he could do the job and I would help him, uh, put in a bathroom in my basement, put in a, a bathroom in my basement. And so he agreed to, to do the job and then I would just help him. So he just gave me like all the grunt work, like digging holes and carrying out cinder blocks, you know, from the basement floor out, outside, you know. And, and so this is, this is what we did. And I remember it took a number of weeks when it got done. And I remember like going into the, the bathroom for the first time. And when I, you know, was done, I texted him and I said, that was an amazing shower. And he texted me back and said, too much information. Like, <laughs> I was just like so, you know, excited about being able to like take a shower in, in my new bathroom downstairs, you know. It was just this, you know, and, and that's what, and, and, and he's like, man, and he, and he responded back after he said too much information. He said, boy, isn't it, isn't it the mundane things that, you know, that, you know, we should have that sense of wonder about? Like, he, he said it this way. He says, we always need to maintain a sense of wonder or maintain a sense of marvel in the mundane, in the mundane. Now, just, just for fun, all of us if we went around the room, all of us could mention some things that are mundane that we should still have a sense of wonder about. We should still marvel at the grace that God has given to us. I'll give some examples since I'm doing the talk today, and you can think of your own, especially if you go into an Empower group this week. You can give your own examples. There's a shameless plug uh, for Empower groups. But for me this week, so some of you know, um, many of you don't, but the whole week, this building didn't have heat. You know of our ongoing, maybe you do, maybe you don't, of our ongoing boiler issues with this old building that we have. Thank, thank you, Jesus, for this building that we get to have. But you get to enjoy, to some degree, the warmth of this room right now. Some of you still have your jackets on, and you're like, oh, it's not as warm as I want it to be, but that's okay. It was like 50-some, like 50-some degrees like in this building. I mean, it, it, was, it was cold all week, except for one room in this building, my office. <laughs> it is beautiful. Some, somewhere down the, you know, in the past, before I was ever even around, they installed in my office a separate heating system in my office that is, isn't connected to the boiler. So, you know, Juan and Kim and Michael, they're freezing in their office. They got their, their space heaters, you know, and you're like, you didn't let them go home? No, no, no. You know, they had their, their little space heaters going, and I just went into my toasty, you know, 68-degree office, you know, and, and sat with the whole building. You know what that is? That is like, wow, thank you, God, for that grace that you gave me. You know, I don't know why you didn't give it to them. Maybe you like me better, God. I don't know. But 
Thank you, God, for that grace that you've given to us. God has given us so much grace. I mean, just think about it. I mean, the ability that we have to like eat food and, and drink drinks and, and be able to taste it. I mean, have you thought about that? I mean, how cool that is that God placed on our tongue thousands of taste buds so that when you have a meal or when you partake in a, in, in a beverage that you can actually taste and enjoy it. I mean, I know, I know. You, these are not things that you think about. These are things that I think about in my warm office during the week. You know, but, but think about that. How much grace that is. This is common grace. Now, this is something that you enjoy and I enjoy, not because we are a Christian, not because we follow Jesus, but because God has given common grace to every single person. The ability to taste things and to enjoy things, the ability to laugh with things. Uh, the, uh, what happened? Another thing that happened to me this week was I was sort of you know going through some of my stuff in, in my office and uh, I was looking uh, at a pair of boots that I had behind a chair and um, I was looking in the pair of boots and in the in my boots when I picked them up piles of candy fell to the into the heel of the boot and it and it triggered my memory because I now I'm now re realizing why my niece who gets, sometimes gets you know, you know, limited candy, which is good. She has good parents, which you should limit your candy intake for your kids. I remembered my niece sitting behind that chair and then me finding wrappers of candy behind the chair. And I, and I wasn't able to really put it together until I picked up that boot this week and inside that boot was just piles of candy. And I, I took a picture and I sent it to my brother and I said, I found her candy stash. <laughs> it was hilarious. I loved it as an uncle. So I put more candy in there. You know, I just like added to it, you know, just so that she can know that her Uncle Chris is the best, you know, and she can go in there, whatever she wants, and, and sit behind my chair and not let mom and dad know that she's back there just piling candy away, man. It was so amazing. It was just, this is like common grace. This kind of stuff happens to you. I know these things, you know, your nieces and nephews and your kids, you get, you get to take pictures and send stories and post it on social media and all the cool things that happens. I mean, it is amazing. This is from God. Why does God give us the ability to have this? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Because he loves you. The ability to taste the ability to laugh, the relationships that you have, it's, it's all grace that was given. And I hope, I hope that when you think about these things and you think about the goodness that you have and the blessings that you have in your life and, and all of us can have, all of us have them, all of us can, can look at our lives and go, wow, I am so Blessed. If you don't think that you're blessed, you need to get on a plane and go to a third world country somewhere. Then you'll really know how blessed you are. I mean, if you have change in your ashtray, you're rich. You're rich. I mean, these are the kind of things that I think that we need to come around and understand about who God is and what God has done for us. 
I mean, I, I just remember, you know, just being, a, being, just experiencing, you know, these, these things in my life and, sh- and having appreciation for what God has done. And I hope, I hope that you have that kind of appreci- appreciation, too, for who God is. And that's common grace. But then there's saving grace, which is different. Saving grace. Saving grace is understanding that we fall short, we don't have it all together, that we're sinners. And because of our sin, because we fall short, because we don't measure up to to the standards of God, that God gave us a gift. And that gift was grace. That gift was extended to us. It it says this in, in, in Ephesians 2, Paul says it this way. He says, but God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. That even when, he says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, and that's ultimately what happens as a result of sin. Sin doesn't make us do bad things. Sin makes us dead. He says, even when you were dead in your transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. And then, he, then it says this, the writers put this, by grace you have been saved. That God has not only exhibited common grace, but God is offering saving grace to every single person. Jesus was having a conversation with a group of religious people. And these religious people at this time, and this time when Jesus was here on earth, were these real pious, self-righteous people that, you know, they had the perception in, you know, in the outward appearance that they had it all together. But the reality was, and the things that you know, those that aren't church or those that aren't Christians hate about Christians is that they were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. And Jesus would call them out. He would say, you pretend like you are close with God, but in reality, you're far from God. You pretend like you have it all together and you know what God wants, but, but in reality, you, you're, you have no idea. And so he's having a conversation with these religious guys. And and, and here's what Matthew records in Matthew chapter number five. He says this. He says, you have heard. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this was a, a common expression that the religious people, not just any people, but religious people, would say and would teach. They would take this and they would make this and they coined this as a phrase that they would make. And, they're, and, they're, and the phrase was, you shall love your neighbor but hate your enemy. You shall love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But then Jesus sort of turns that upside on its head and Jesus gives them a new command or a new demand. He says, but I say to you that you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Just as the law gives a mandate, and the law's mandate was that you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said, I'm going to give you another command, and the way that I'm going to word this command is this, that you should not hate your enemies, Not hate the people that are not like you. Not hate the people that are different than you. 
not, you know, sort of pushed to a side or have nothing to do with the people that are different than you. But he says this, but you shall love those people. That you should love those people that aren't like you. That you should love those people that may not have the, the same belief system as you. That you should love those people that don't always, you don't always agree with and they don't always agree with you. That's beside the point, Jesus would say. Jesus would say that my command is to love those people no matter what, unconditional. And the love that he used, it was a new kind of love. And it's a love that if you've been in church, you've heard it before. It was an agape love. It is a selfless love. It is a sacrificial love. It is a love that is based unconditionally. That kind of love. And when it comes to the people that you work with, when it comes to the people that you go to school with, when it comes to the people that you do life with, Jesus' command for you, especially to you that, are, is, that may be considered religious, that Jesus' command for you is to love your enemies. And not just love your enemies, but he said, he went on even further. He says, and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who may not have the same views and they laugh at you and they tell you that you're weird and, they, and you tell them that, you know, they ask about your weekend and you said, oh, I went to, you know, this on Saturday and then on Sunday morning my family and I went to church and they're like, oh, you went to church, you're like I went golfing or whatever the case may be and they kind of sneer and, you know, those are the people, all people that we are to pray for. This is the mandate that he gives and then he goes on and says, why? Why should we do that? Why should we love our enemies and pray for those that persecute you? And then he tells us why in verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father. He says, you know why you pray for people that may not be like you or, or may say bad things about you? You know why you love people even though they don't see the same things or the point of view that you have on things. You know why you love people? Because that's who our Heavenly Father is. We love people because we are, if, you're, if you have this saving grace, you and I are sons and daughters of a Heavenly Father who loves all people. And he goes on and says this, for he causes, oh, go back to verse 45, please. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is common grace. This is what Jesus is talking about when it comes to common grace. That when it comes to people, that he causes the son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's God's love. It's the Father's love for all people. I don't know why I just thought of this this week, but when I was thinking about, you remember, all of us probably could, you remember 9-11, you remember that you know, you, all of us could, could tell, you, tell us where you were at that day. I just remember when I think about that day, 
and the evil that happened that day. The horrific acts of evil that happened that day. Do you remember how beautiful that day was? I just remember in my mind, when I think about that day, I remember in my mind, it was like the perfect day. At least where I was, probably where you were. It was, there was, I just remember, and even the images that we've seen hundreds of times, not a cloud in the sky. A perfect, beautiful day, yet at a time where evil Look like it prevailed. And, and I'm telling you, these are the kind of things that we wonder and go, why, 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 God? Why, why do you, you know, let its sun shine on the, on the evil and the good? Why, why do you let the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous? Why, God? Why, God? Because we have a God who says, I want to I give everybody grace. I want everybody to experience my grace. I want everybody to know that I have, that the reason why they woke up this morning is because of my grace. I want everybody to realize that the fact that they have a job today is because of my grace. I want everybody to know that because the reasons that their kids are healthy or, and they're doing okay is because of my grace. I want everybody to know that, that they were able to walk in and have a warm house, you know, and on a cold winter day is because of my grace. I want everybody to to know that just because they don't always act the way that they're supposed to act and do what they're supposed to do, that they can still in this world experience grace. And that only comes from God. And Jesus is saying, you know why? You know why you should love your enemies? You know why you should pray for those that persecute you? Because that's what our heavenly father does. He loves. He lets the sun rise on evil and good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So as his sons and daughters, that shouldn't that be something that we Think about as his sons and daughters that we love in that same way. I, I wrote it this way. I don't know if we have this up there or not, but it's that love, re, love's reward is evidence of his children. Love's reward is evidence of his children. That the greatest reward for loving is the fact that you, if you're a Christian, that you can prove that you're evident of the fact that you are his sons and daughters. And a way for you to know in reality if you are a son and a daughter of God is by the way that you love people. By the way that you love. He goes on and says this, verse 46. For if we love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So he's kind of poking at these religious guys because they, they view tax collectors as these vile human beings. He says, do not even tax collectors do the same? Verse 47, he says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same, which we should be offended because that's what most of us in this room are, Gentiles. 
But he's asking, he said, listen, shouldn't we, as his sons and daughters, shouldn't we be those that are doing more? Like, for those of us that have saving grace, for those of us that understand that at once we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, but now he has made us alive, shouldn't we do more? And Jesus asked a great question. What more are you doing than others? What more are we doing? What more at your job are you doing than others? At your job, are you known on your job as being somebody that works harder, that is responsible, that, is, that, you know, that, that gets there on time, that, that does you know, their, their job? Are you known at your job as being somebody who is caring and compassionate, that you're into and invest in people that you work with? Are you known in that way? Because there are people who haven't received the saving grace of Jesus that I wonder sometimes are, are more gracious than us. We should understanding, not because we're better than anybody, but understanding of what Jesus has done for us, that we should be more gracious, that we should be more forgiving, that we should be more accepting, that we should be less judgmental because of what we've experienced with grace. He said, what more are you doing than others? And then he, he goes on and says this in verse eight, or verse 48. He says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, I looked up this word perfect. And you, we read this and we're going, oh, man. I mean, I gotta be perfect. Like, I gotta be perfect at this loving thing, like loving our, our, my enemies and praying for those that persecute you. Listen, here's, here's what this perfect word perfect means in, in, the, in, the, in the Greek. Okay, you ready? It means perfect. <laughs> Was that helpful? No, no, no. It means practice it, practicing. It means you gotta practice it. And have you ever heard the phrase, practice makes perfect? This is what he's referring to. It's the idea of, of maturing. It's the idea of growing. It's the idea of getting better at this. Because this is ultimately what he wants. That love's required expectation is perfection. That love's required expectation is perfection. That this is ultimately what ought to be the goal for us, especially for those of us that understand common grace and that have and received saving grace. If you have received saving grace, this is your expected task. This is your expected endeavor to be good, to be better, to be perfect at loving people. Why? Because your heavenly Father loves you unconditionally. And the way that you show that you are a son or a daughter of God is by 
loving in the same way that God, our Father, has loved us. And the expectation is perfection. Last night, I um, went to a Piston game, and before I tell you uh, any more about that, I want to let you know, tell you about this. There was a family um, in the church a number of years ago uh, that went through just this horrific uh, situation. The husband um, had an affair, and obviously as a result of that, uh, just created some major destruction within the marriage. I spent some time uh, with them, um, counseling them as best as I possibly could uh, over a number of months. And, you know, I pleaded with, you know, the husband to, to you know, we got to make this work. I pleaded with the wife to, to, to extend forgiveness. And um, she was willing to do that. And he wasn't willing to make the marriage work. And that, man, is for, for somebody that in my position and get a front row in that, I, um, it's hard. You, you love these people. I love all of you. Those of you that are part of this family, I consider you to be family. And I, I hurt. I hurt when, when people go through difficulties and, and, and challenges and experience and make decisions that are harmful. It, it, it's 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 challenging for me. And so, um, I lost contact with him. I tried to stay in touch, and periodically I would see him uh, with the kids that they had together. And um, but over time, I just sort of lost touch. And she had to her and her kids, which was one of the most difficult things for me. As as a result of that, they had to move out of state. So they had to leave the church and move out of state. And they're doing well right now. They're doing, they're doing great right now. But it was just, it's hard, you know, and, and, and to deal with that kind of, those kind of decisions. It's just challenging. And so last night I was given, my wife and I were given some tickets uh, to the Piston game. And we went to Little Caesars Arena and, and found our seats and um, sat down. I mean, there's, I don't know, 18,000, 19,000 seats there. Uh, there was probably 10 to 12,000 people there. And we sit down, and here comes down the stairs this man who had an affair. And he comes down, and I see him, and he comes, and he, the row right in front of us. And he comes, and he sits down, and right in front of us. And I'm like, you know, asking a question, I should probably coin this, what would Jesus do, you know, what what should Jesus do? (laughs) I should make bracelets out of it. (laughs) And I thought about, I thought, of course, what would Jesus do? Jesus would love him. That's what Jesus would do. So time went, a little bit of time went by, and I just tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, man. He's sort of surprised, you know, and I said, how you doing? Just gave him a hug, told him how important he was to me, and if there's anything that I can do or our church can do to be a help, and just had a little bit of conversation. And 
I just thought that this is exactly what I'm trying to say today. That there are people that we know that probably don't deserve our love. They don't deserve us to extend. They've made decisions and choices that have hurt us. They kept making those decisions and their choices and it just keeps this vicious cycle of hurt and pain. And it's easy, what's easy for us is just to sort of walk away or to keep an arm's length away from these people or to stop contacting them or to let, you know, just kind of let them know how we feel and it's not a good thing. We're angry with them. We're bitter towards them and to kind of keep them just away from us. That's sort of what naturally I think people do. But that's not who Jesus is. And as his sons and his daughters, that's not who we ought to be. That as his sons and as his daughters, and the best way to exhibit that, to the best way to show evidence that we are his sons and daughters, is how we love people no matter what. I don't care what they said about you, what they've done to you, how they've hurt you, and I know there's been some horrific things, and here's the reality. There is still forgiveness when we turned our backs on God. There is still love when we walked away from God, that while you and I were still in our sins, Christ died for us, meaning that he offered love and extension to us for those of us that want to receive this grace, this unmerited grace that you don't deserve and I don't deserve, but he gave it to us anyways. And as his sons and his daughters, we should extend the same grace. We get grace to give grace. And his expectation is perfection. And you may not get it right all the time. That's okay because it's practice. Practice makes for perfect. Eventually, you keep loving, you'll get it right. You keep loving people that are unlovable or hard to love, you'll get it right. And you'll be perfect at it. John said it this way, and we'll end, it, end this, end it with this. First John said this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What is John saying? John is saying that some people, some people, will see God by the way that you love. That no one has seen God at any time until they see you, son, daughter of the Most High God, until they see you love, then they'll see God. They may not ever recognize the common graces that you and I should recognize. They may not, it may take a long time for them to receive the saving grace that has been offered by our God. But the only chance, some for some, the only way is by the way that you love one another. And people are worth the investment. 
People are worth the investment because they're worth it to God. They ought to be worth it to to us. God's love is better exhibited than explained. God's love. You can tell somebody about God's love all you want until you're red in the face like me. But I'm telling you, it is not, it is not, it is best exhibited than explained. So we're going to start a journey over the next few weeks. And there's so much more to this content that I want you to discuss in an empower group. So get to an empower group because there's so much of this that we need to, I think, as sons and daughters, need to know. And if you're not, if you haven't received Christ and haven't received that saving grace, I'm telling you, there's so much more that for you to understand about God that I want you to give him a chance. Give him a chance because he loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, For those of us here that call ourselves sons or daughters of you, our duty and our responsibility and our privilege is to love others. Not just the people that are like us or have the same viewpoints as us, but all people. People that aren't like us, people that don't see things and see the world the same way that we see the world. We have no excuses not to love every single person. God, it's the best evidence of the fact that we are your sons and daughters, that our love should exceed any need, that we should love because of the love that we've been extended, the love that's been given to us that we should love. And God, Lord, just that our goal, our ambition ought to be to be perfect at this, to practice it every day and wherever we're doing, wherever we're going about in life, that we practice this every single day. And God, your love is best exhibited It's best shown, demonstrated, than it is explained. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the grace, the common grace, certainly for the saving grace that you've offered to every single person. I pray, Lord, that those maybe here today that haven't received that grace, that saving grace, I pray that here and now that they can, they receive that. They receive it and know what it means, know what it feels like to walk as your sons and daughters, best thing in the world. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Hope you come back next week.